The following message is by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org. We bless your holy name, Father, Son, and Spirit. The scriptures say that you always accomplish your purposes. You've planned them, you bring them to pass in just the right time and in just the right way. And we bless your holy name for purposing to make a plan of salvation. We did not come up with it. The ones that we have created fail. You came up with a way for people to be reconciled to a holy God. That is remarkable. We bless your name for that. We bless you, Father, for initiating the plan and Son for carrying it out in spirit, for opening our eyes to it and helping us to see. And so, Spirit of God, I pray that you would run through this room now here this morning and cause us to see it again. Some here, I'm I'm sure for the very first time, do another work here this morning to open the eyes of human hearts. Individual human beings, open the eyes of their hearts, Holy Spirit, and enable them to see the beauty of what God, the Father, Son, and Spirit has done. Do it to the glory of the Son, to the glory of the Father, to the good of people. We thank you that you, in what you have done, it's not one or the other. What what a marvelous thing. That it is not either glorifying to God or good for people, but they are one and the same. Bless your name for such wisdom and such beauty. So for our own good, Spirit of God, show us the glory of God and what He has planned, marvelous as it is. Give life to Your Word. Give life to the passages that we will look at, the verses that we will look at. Cause those of us who have not heard these things before to understand them for the first time and those of us who are well familiar with them to be warmed and moved by them and changed. For the glory of God and for the good of His people, I pray it. Amen. If you were to summarize Easter... In a word, in a single word, I'm sure there are many choices you could make, but you could use the word reversal. Reversal. A changing of course. An altering of state. Even outside of the church, just out there in in the normal everyday world, Easter is often associated with change and reversal because it falls in the springtime. And and as the seasons change, we see the reversal of the cold and the dark and the dreary and the dead of winter to the light and life and freshness and warmth of spring. 
And Easter gets kind of wrapped into that as we see the, the grass growing and little bunnies and little chicks and whatnot. We, we begin to think of change. Even out there, the spring and the Easter time. But, but in here, we talk about Easter specifically. Reversal means a whole lot more than just the changes in the physical environment. At Easter, there is a reversal that is spiritual in nature, that is affected here at Easter. An objective outside of us, out there in the real world, change, reversal. That makes then possible a, a subjective, personal, in here, reversal. A reversal out there that makes a reversal in here possible. And I want to be very careful. I'm not talking about a reversal that is personal for you, a reversal of fortune or a reversal of health or a reversal of, of relationships with other people. Perhaps that may come about. Sometimes there is a correlation between spiritual reversal and the things in life changing. Sometimes there is, sometimes there isn't. The kind of reversal that is personal that I'm talking about here is a reversal of your soul's status before God. So that you can live with Him rather than apart from Him and against Him. The kind of reversal that if it would happen to you would lead you to experience the deepest, fullest, most meaningful, most joyful, gladdest life you can ever imagine. That kind of reversal can happen in here. Because of reversal that happened out there, apart from any of us. That multi-level reversal is what we're going to talk about this morning as we look at Easter from a part of Psalm 118. If you were here last week, we looked at Psalm 118 in, in totality, the whole thing. And this morning, I'm just going to be focusing on, on just a piece of that, really a couple verses, really one verse. I'm going to give most of my attention to that. But to kind of set the stage, I want to talk about a little review here of what the whole psalm is about. Psalm 118 was a very well-known psalm in ancient Israel. Because at some of the great feasts of Israel, one in particular, the Feast of Tabernacles, it was regularly sung by all of the people, and particularly the temple choir. Everybody had heard this, they'd sung it since they were boys, Most of the, mostly men gathered to these things. They'd sung it since they were children, they knew Psalm 118, very familiar to them. They sung it often in celebration, anticipating the coming of Messiah. That is, God's anointed deliverer. They would sing this psalm, and if you were to look at it, maybe you have your Bible and you can open and look, the theme of the song is seen in the first and in the last verse. They are identical. They, they are the same thing. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. Beginning and end. And in that last line, for his steadfast love endures forever, is repeated in verse 2, and in verse 3, and in verse 4. What's the theme of the song? The psalm. Give thanks to God because he is good, full of steadfast love. Beginning and end. So, everything that we talk about this morning, because I'm going to take a piece of this psalm and kind of pull it out and, and expand on it. Everything that we say, you've got to mentally keep under this umbrella... 
Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. Covering all of this, the whole psalm. In the middle, the psalmist turns his attention to trouble that he has encountered. People who are against him. And he is distressed and surrounded and hard-pressed. And sometimes we see God solves those troubles and sometimes he just sustains the psalmist through them. But either way, the psalmist always knows that God is at my side. He is sustaining me. And so he goes into the house of the Lord, the temple, to give thanks. To worship him and to thank him. Verse 19 and following. In 21 he says, I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. I'm going to pick up right there and read from verse 22 through the end of the psalm. This is Psalm 118, verse 22 through the end. I'm going to read all of them to set the context, but really 22, 3, 4, and 5 are my main focus for this morning. I thank you that you have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God, and he has made his light to shine upon us. Bind the festal sacrifice with cords up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God. I will extol you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For his steadfast love endures Forever. Psalm 118. Obviously, I'm pulling out just a portion of the psalm, and I want to focus in on something this morning in relation to Easter. So here's, here's the main theme that I'm working on this morning out of particularly verse 22. Let me give it to you. I'll, I'll say it a couple times if, you're, if you want to write it down. My main point this morning, God the Father has reversed the verdict on Jesus. And so he can reverse the verdict on you. God the Father has reversed the verdict on Jesus. And so he can reverse the verdict on you. Trust him. That's my main point. Two reversals there. I'm going to form my, my two observations this morning. We start with the first reversal. Using the language of the psalm. The stone that God sent has been rejected. The stone that God sent has been rejected. Obviously this comes right out of verse 22. Talking about the stone. And it's a metaphor. Obviously I'm talking about a rock. He's talking about a living being. But we're going to stick with the metaphor for a little bit to kind of get into the feel of it. Understand it. God sent a stone. Think about God sent. All of it under the umbrella of the Lord is good, His steadfast love endures forever. God is good. Full of steadfast love. That's a theme. 
He is good. He is the very definition of love. That's who God is. He is loving kindness. He is mercy. He is grace. He is steadfast, wide, long, high, deep, positive affection. The New Testament can summarize it in a simple sentence. God is love. That's who He is. So whatever comes from God is good and loving. That follows. He's good, full of steadfast love. So whatever comes out of Him is good and full of steadfast love. And so we, we think God sent, we should think, God in goodness and love sent. God sent something good and loving. The good and loving God sent. We, we, sh- we should have those things wrapped up in our minds all together. God graciously, lovingly sent a stone. Just like He said He would. He promised to one day send a stone. Out of the Old Testament, it's a prophecy. Consider, it's in a lot of places, but consider Isaiah 28. We're speaking about the future. God says... Behold, listen to the connection to the psalm here. Behold, I am laying as a foundation in Zion a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation, and whoever believes in Him will not be ashamed, will not be in haste. Other places we could look at, Isaiah 8, for instance. God is going to send a stone, a precious, chosen, tested, worthy stone. Not like a, not like a meteorite hurtling to the earth to strike it. But laid like a stone in a foundation. How is that a good and loving thing to do? He's, he's the good and loving God, and whatever He does is good and loving. How is it good and loving for Him to send a stone? Because of what the laying of that stone is all about. Ancient construction, foundations to buildings were not made from poured concrete. Okay? They were made out of rock, stones. And you, you would attempt, if you were a wise builder, you would attempt to find big, flat stones that you could lay out and it would be a foundation. And the bigger and the flatter and the thicker, the better, because you have to work them less. And the biggest, flattest, thickest, heaviest stone would be the cornerstone, the one that sits in the corner and would bear the weight of a couple of walls and would kind of set the, the shape and, and everything else would key off of it in the foundation. So when somebody says, I'm going to lay a cornerstone... The, the builder is saying, I'm starting something. I'm about to build something. I'm about to construct something. I'm beginning. That's what, he's, that's what he's saying here. When God says that, I'm going to lay a precious cornerstone as a foundation. He's saying, I am going to begin a great work. What is it? In a word, it's Messiah. He's going to send the Messiah. All these passages in the Old Testament that talk about this are, are wrapped up with this idea of Messiah. Or you change languages, you get Christ. Same word, different languages. I'm going to send Christ. And I'm going to begin an age of Christ, like a building. It's not going to happen all at once. I'm going to lay something and then build it. The age, or, or the house of, if you will, Christ. 
That's why sending this stone is such a good and loving thing because what the age of Christ is, what the time of Messiah is, the time of salvation, the time of renewal, of fixing, of correcting all that is wrong in this world. And there is plenty of wrong in the world. Some of you are experiencing it right now. I mean, it's, not, not everybody is. I mean, sometimes we have those days that are great. And everything's just fine. And, and all the kids are healthy and wealthy and wise. And, and everything's just going smoothly. But you know the other shoe's going to fall. For some of you, it's fallen. Because we live in a fallen world. And there is plenty of trouble and plenty of wrong. Plenty of stuff needs to be fixed. And God said, I will act decisively one day to do that. I will send one, a stone, who will renew. Who will eliminate sin. The Isaiah passage, it talks about him sending the stone. Right after that, he says... That it will be an age of righteousness and justice in which I will sweep away deceit and death. An age of righteousness and justice. We chafe under injustice as every one of us chafes under injustice. Every one of us suffers from unrighteousness. And he said, I will act and change that. I will bring in a new age and I will sweep away all evil and all sin. I will lay this stone and begin a structure and it will lead to a renewed world. I will destroy destruction. I will kill death. And I will bring to you in your hearts joy and hope and peace and love like you have never known but have only dreamed of. I will lay a stone and I will build that house, says the Lord. That is a good and loving thing to do. And he did it. He sent him. And he came. And remarkably, a tragic reversal occurred. That precious stone that God sent was rejected. Mind-boggling. Thrown out. which was not entirely unexpected by the people, in a way. Doesn't verse 22 say, the stone the builders rejected? They sang that all the time. They, they understood that. And, and the words of the, the psalm as a whole, words that are on the lips of the Messiah, show him as oppressed and, and attacked and surrounded by, by enemies. They understood that there was going to be opposition to the Messiah. Psalm 2 that we looked at last week. Same thing. The kings of the earth will set themselves against the Lord and His Messiah. They understood that. In a way. And if we think about it, we, we can understand that too. If He's going to come to eliminate evil and wickedness, evil and wicked people are going to have a problem with that. If He's going to come to wipe away deceit, deceivers are not going to be fond of Him. The unjust who make their living by their injustice will be 
very much set against one who's going to write everything, settle all accounts fairly. So of course, when he comes, when this stone comes, there will be some who will reject him, turn their backs on him, throw him out. Naturally, of course. Here's the problem. Who are the wicked? Who are they? He comes to wipe out wickedness. To end injustice. To wipe away deceit. Who are the unjust deceivers of the world? Most of us have an idea. It's this group of people. Here's the line. I'm on this side of the line. Most of us think like that. Yes, there are wicked people. Yes, there are unjust people. Yes, there are deceivers in the world. Too bad for them. Most of us think like that. Judging by a standard that we have erected ourselves, that our culture has erected, the problem is God is the one who is the judge. He gets to set the standard. And the scriptures are very clear. We are the wicked. Every one of us from birth. And at this point, if God would give grace to you to turn this from an academic discussion about the Messiah coming and eliminating wickedness out there somewhere, if He would give grace to you to open your eyes and show this to be about you, you would be most blessed. The truth is that you and I from birth, we are the wicked. We cannot discuss other people that would reject this Son who was sent and not realize that we are them. The Bible is very clear. Write down Romans 3 if you want to look at it. Romans 3 says, quoting other scriptures, so it's in the Bible multiple times, it says, no one is righteous. No, not one. He comes to set up a kingdom of righteousness. And that's not us. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. No, not even one. That, that, is, that is very clear. That is very clear. He is good and we are not. The scripture continues, Their throat is an open grave. Their tongues practice deceit. He will come and wipe away deception, which is what we live on. Our throats are open graves. Our tongues practice deceit. Scorn and contention and bitterness and ruin and misery and anger mark our hearts. First, our hearts. That's why it sometimes comes out in our lips or in our hands, because it's first in our hearts. Do not be deceived. Do not be deceived into thinking that if it doesn't come out of my lips, I'm okay. If I don't actually act on it in an overt, clear, offensive way, I'm okay. He looks at the heart, he sees the heart, and he knows what's in there. He continues and, and summarizes the section by saying, there is no fear of God in their hearts. That's the summary problem. There's no fear of God. There is no reverence, no awe. A 
hard thing for people to hear who go to worship services of all different sorts all around the world. That I don't fear God. No, you have created a God and respond to him in a way that you have created. God says the real me is insignificant to them. There's no fear of God in their hearts. God sends and lays a precious stone to build a new house with righteousness and justice as its foundation, His kingdom. He sent this stone, Jesus. And we have rejected Him from birth, every single one of us. Which is a great evil. We should sense this a great evil This is God, the holy God, the one who created every single one of us and owns us. And we stiff arm him. That is a great evil. But also understand, if you think about, move back a few minutes and what we've been talking about this morning. Move back a few minutes and realize that over this whole thing, the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. I will send a stone and build a house of righteousness and and justice You stiff-arm that? That's not just evil, that's tragic. That should cause us to weep. You're missing something. Life. Rejecting the one who would give life who is full of goodness, described as love embodied. And you say no to him. That's tragic. Evil, but tragic. On Palm Sunday, the crowds welcomed him in, as we talked about last week. They welcomed him into Jerusalem singing Psalm 118. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We think you're awesome. Until he clarified a little bit. This is who I really am. This is who you really are. And maybe some of you are sensing that clarification right now. He, he's awesome. He's great. He's, he's loving and he's good. But why do you, re- why do you reject him? Why do you stiff arm him? Because he demands some things from you. He will not share power with you. He won't. He's God. He can't. He will not share allegiance in your heart with anything else. He can't. He won't. He does not sin. He is no sinner. He will not share his allegiance with somebody else. That would be sin. He makes demands on your life. For your good, but he makes demands. And there's something in the human soul that does not like demands made on us. We want to be God. We want to be autonomous. We want to call the shots for ourselves. So much so that we will bite off our own livelihood. Our own lives will cut it off if it threatens our autonomy. A few short days, those who welcomed him rejected him and sent him to the cross. A stunning reversal. 
This is the first great reversal. The stone that God sent has been rejected by them that week and by everybody else since and before. Ironically, in the rejecting of him, the people were actually fulfilling God's purposes, God's will. That's why we call it Good Friday. Because it's actually playing into God's good and loving plan. But nonetheless, it is a tragic thing to reject him and send him to the cross where he would die. It actually serves the purpose of God, though, building his new work by sending his son. And it begins to move us towards the second observation. But before we go there, hang here for just a second and think about this. There are a lot of people here I don't know this morning. And I don't know where you're coming from, spiritually speaking. A lot of, a lot of you do know where you're coming from. And I, and I know that you know Christ. But those of you who don't, let, let me leave it with you and ask you to think. You have a problem. It's not with me. It's not, not with anybody here. You have a problem before God. To reject this stone leaves you with a problem. And we're going to talk about solution in just a second. But you have a problem and nobody seeks solutions to things they don't think are problems. May God open your eyes to show you you have a problem before a holy God. For those of us here, though, who are Christians, who have trusted Him, let me just encourage you to think about two things. One, think about the problem. God has done a remarkable thing in your life, and, and you should be listening to this and and sobered by it, but know that this is going to lead to a great celebration. You should be thinking that because you should be singing it in your heart every day, constantly. So take the opportunity to sing it to yourself here. To sit under it and feel its weight and to know where it's going. But secondly, also realize that while in a grand sense the rejection may have been fixed in your life, you know where this is going, in, in another sense you, you still reject it. Day by day, moment by moment, you still hold your arm out against him and say, no, I'm going to go my own way. Where is that in your life? Where do you still hold him off? It makes no sense. That is, even for a Christian, that is evil. And it's tragic. He still is the source of life for you. Don't hold him off at all. But we need to get to the, the conclusion to this problem. The second observation, the second great reversal. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. The second reversal is also found in verse 22. Let me summarize it like this. The rejected stone that God sent has been raised. He has been raised. That's what the has become the cornerstone is getting at. A great reversal. 
God sent the stone. People rejected him. Think of it as, as workmen at a work site kind of contemplating a stone and then chucking it out into a, a rubble pile. And God walking over there and saying, no, 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 no. Picking it up and bringing it back, plunk, right there where I wanted it. As the cornerstone. It was rejected, but he has become the cornerstone just like was intended. That's what happens in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, what we celebrate today on Easter. God actually placing him as the cornerstone and beginning this new work, this new structure. He's rejected and killed upon the cross. I just mentioned it, but you have to understand the cross if Easter's going to make any sense. One of the problems with this holiday is that it's broken into two pieces. And without Good Friday, Easter is floating. It's not attached to anything. It doesn't make any sense. Friday and Sunday are, are linked. They have to be understood together. The cross is not just about physical death. It's also about spiritual death. When Jesus hung on the cross, he was not just being physically killed in a painful, humiliating way. The Bible is clear that when a man guilty, condemned before God is hung on a cross, he bears the curse of God on him. Any man hung on a tree is under the curse of God, says the Old Testament. So when Jesus hung there, yes, he was, he was, had nails hammered through his wrists and his feet and, his, and thorns in his, on his head and he was beaten until he was, he was raw and he was pierced with a sword. Yes, all of that. And you can watch the Passion of the Christ and you can see that. But, but you really, what you can't see on film is the real problem. The real death. Because it can't be depicted. You can attempt to show it, but it's spiritual. When he dies on the cross, he hangs there. The curse of the holy God rests on him. God the Father rejects him. Ironically, this precious stone sent is rejected not just by men, but it's rejected by God himself. Cursed. Which is what makes the second reversal all the more stunning. The testimony of the facts of history is that he did not stay dead, but came back to life, triumphant. Physically alive and spiritually alive, no longer bearing the curse of God, but bearing the approval of God. And I very deliberately emphasize the facts of history. Do you realize how different biblical Christianity is every other faith system or religion on the planet. There are thousands of faith systems or religions, and they're all in one bucket, and biblical Christianity is in another, in, in a load of different ways, but in this way, it, it's significant. At its core, biblical Christianity is rooted in fact. Jesus lived Jesus claimed to be God. Jesus was crucified for that claim. Jesus rose from the dead and was seen alive again by hundreds of people. Fact. That's not opinion or religious theory. The tomb was empty. That's a historical fact. Those who killed him knew it. The early Christians knew it, which is why you can read, for instance, you can read Acts chapter 4, and you can see a couple of the early apostles in the city of Jerusalem where this happened, 
less than two months after it happened, talking to the guys who did it, and they can say to them, we are acting, say the, these Christian apostles, we are acting in the name of Jesus Christ, whom you crucified. I mean, it's saying it right to their faces. Whom you crucified, but God raised from the dead. This Jesus, they say, is the stone that was rejected by you, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. They can preach that there in that place to those folks at that time. You crucified him. God raised him from the dead. How do you end that argument? You walk across town and you get the body. Not that big of a place. Probably take you ten minutes. Walk over to the tomb and get the body. But they can't because it's not there. There isn't one. And everybody knows it. Hundreds of people have seen him alive again. So what do they say? Shut up. Literally. If you keep talking about these things, we're going to kill you. That's not an argument. That's an acknowledgement. These are the facts which we find inconvenient and we will reject them further and tell you to stop propagating them. That's the continued rejection. But the fact of history remains the tomb was and is empty. God raised Jesus, God the Son, from the dead. This... This changes the whole nature of what we're talking about. Do you understand this? You've got to think this through. This is no longer an idea. I mean, up to, up to this point, you could, you could be listening to what I'm saying. You say, okay, there, that's a religious theory. That's an idea that you have. And I could walk across town and I could find somebody else with another set of religious theories and ideas. Or I could walk across over here. And, sure, yeah, you can. I mean, there are plenty of religious theories and ideas out there. But this sets it apart from that in a really different way. This is no longer a theory that some guy went into the woods or went into a cave or had a dream about and then came out and began to teach and then we hear and have to say, do I believe that or not? Do I find that reasonable or not? This is not in that category. This is, was the tomb empty or not? Yes or no? Fact. And if it was... That has to be answered. A little resource for you. If you want to think about the facts a little more closely, a short book, really an abridgment of a book, it's all of 90 some, 90, 91 pages, 90 pages. I have about a dozen copies. I have them out at the door on the way out. If you want to pick one up and look at it, it's called The Case for Easter. A journalist investigates the evidence for the resurrection. If you want to think about the evidence for the resurrection, pick one up, take it, glance through it. It won't take you that long to read it. And he has resources in the back if you want to look at more things for further investigation. Check it out. And I, I urge you to because this is a fact that has to be answered. What is going on with a man who claims to be God dies and passes into God's hands, 
and then God brings them back to life again. What's going on with that? The Bible's clear about what's going on with that. Everybody hung on a cross is under the curse of God. But Jesus, sinless, had no sin to be cursed. He's hung on the cross, cursed by God. But not for his own sin, for the sin of others. He rises again from the dead. There's a huge reversal in there, is there not? Cursed and dead, alive and approved. With the commendation of God, this is the one I approve of. This is the one that I set, set up and thrown. I will raise him back and he will come again reigning. What, what is that? What's going on there? Well, listen to 2 Corinthians 5 as it connects the dots. God made him who knew no sin. God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin. To become sin. That's him on the cross, sinless but cursed. God made him who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. If we are in Him, if we are connected to Him, think of it as like a balloon. And if you get into the balloon, you go wherever the balloon goes. If we are in Him, we go to the cross and He pays for the death. He bears the curse. And He rises again approved and we're still with Him, risen and approved, no longer with guilt and curse on us. But instead, we have become the righteousness of God. When he sets up that kingdom of righteousness and justice, we in ourselves, there is no one righteous, no, not one, unless you have become the righteousness of God. And then he looks at you and says, wonderful. Welcome. I approve. There is no condemnation against you. You are righteous in my sight because you are in my son Christ. The great reversal that Jesus goes through, rejected, cursed, killed, raised, approved, we can go through that reversal also in Him. And there's no other way apart from Him. There is truly no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. And we must be saved because we sit here perishing. Unless you are in Christ. Psalm 118 verses 23, 24, and 25 tells us how we should respond to this. What you can experience because of this. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we pray, O Lord. 
That's how we should respond to this and what we can know in this. You can look at this and know rejoicing and gladness and cry out, Save me! You were rejected and have been brought back, set up as the cornerstone. Save me and put me into this. Include me in this. So let me close by breaking that apart to be, to be very clear about it. As I said, I don't know everybody here, but I'm sure there are people here who are not Christians. Some here who know they're not Christians and some here who think they are, but are not. I don't know who's who. May God the Spirit tell you which one you are. Some of us have, I would think, have gone to church quite a bit, have gone to religious worship services quite a bit, and may God the Spirit open your eyes right now and convince you that all kinds of religious performance and all kinds of religious work and all kinds of worship services, if they are not about you in the heart, humbly submitted to this Jesus who is God come in flesh, the second person of the Trinity. This Jesus who died on the cross, rejected to bear the curse of those who trust Him. If all the worship services that you've gone to and all of the thinking and hoping in your own heart and mind has not been centered on this Jesus, has not been a giving of yourself to this Jesus, it is not Christianity. And you still have a problem. But the Bible also says that those who place wholehearted trust in Christ crucified alone, wholehearted alone, I'm being redundant there because I'm trying to underline something, alone, not plus, not the things that I've done and He makes up the rest after I've done all I can. It's false. That is not the Gospel. The Gospel is you cannot do anything. You have rejected Him. I will bear the curse for that on the cross. Trust Him. By grace you have been saved through faith. This not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. Works have a place. They come in the very next verse. After that. After you have been saved, a changed life follows not to get saved. So trust Him. Cry out to Him, Save me, Lord. Yield to Him. You can use other words here. Surrender. Hope only in. Love only Him. We have to be really clear about this. This is not just theory or an idea, one of the many things you can choose from. This is rooted in fact, and there will come a time when the structure is completed, and He wipes away all 
injustice and all wickedness, all unrighteousness. There will come a time when every single one of us will stand before this holy God. And I hope that you have a testimony to bear to Him right there. That says, I hoped only in your Son, God, who came to earth. I hoped only in Him. And His cross removed the curse from me. Thank you. Do not go to that place only able to say, I heard about that on Easter in the year 2010. Turn to Him. Trust Him. You can do it right now. There's no magic formula. You can do it right now. You can say, I yield. I give up. I stop trying to do it myself. Trust Him where you sit. And if you do, you'll find yourself in the very place that probably most of us here, count heads, but probably most of us here are in. You can find yourself in the place where Psalm 118, all of it applies to you and the bookends are yours. The goodness of the Lord and His steadfast love forever rests upon you. Like Psalm 33 says, the steadfast love of the Lord rests on those who fear Him, who hope in Him, whose eyes are set on Him and fixed on Him. He has become your salvation. Rejoice and be glad in what the Lord has done. This day of the rejected one laid as the cornerstone. Rejoice and be glad in that. And I underline that here at the end for Christians because I don't think that many of us as Christians actually get that. This reversal... Where you were guilty before God and He has reversed it and has made you His righteousness and now showers on you His goodness and His steadfast love. I don't know that... I mean, probably if I asked you, you would write it down. Does the Lord love me? Yes or no? Yes. Is He good to me? Yes or no? Yes. Probably most of us would answer that. But, but I don't think that we really get the reversal. And I don't think we get it at least I don't think I get it. Because of my, my moment by moment, my day by day, is angst the right word? Maybe the word for you is, is worry or frustration or something kind of, maybe it's confusion. But there's something there in my life that catches. I, I saw a woman at, at, in a car at a stoplight. So I'm here, she's over here, and she's just smiling. I have no idea who she was, what, she, what was going on in her life, but she's just smiling. And I thought, I don't just sit in my car smiling. <laughs> and then she looked at myself in the mirror. I kept the same expression. I can't do it now. I looked at myself in the mirror and I thought, that's, that's my usual. 
can't do it now, but I think if we if we really believed, if we understood the magnitude of the reversal that this cornerstone has won for you, you'd live in another plane. I think so. Not at all to say that you wouldn't know trouble. I mean, there, this life is full of trouble. Jesus said so. We will experience much tribulation. Jesus said so. It, it's true. But we would know something else too. Sort of like the person who, who knows the secret, you know, who... Why is this person so, so at rest here, so at peace? Because he knows the secret. Whatever it is in life, you know... You, this guy's not bothered by the, the recent financial news because he had the opposite stock portfolio and this is great for him. You know, you know whatever. There's, there's always that one thing where if you know the whole story, changes how you feel about it. We would know the whole story. And the beginning and the end. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. Open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. I thank you. You have answered me and have become my salvation. You are my God. I will give thanks to you. You are my God. I will extol you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. We would actually live, not just intellectually knowing, but seeing that which is worth giving thanks over. And we would be thankful people, not just people who we know are supposed to be thankful people. And so we say thank you. But we'd actually be thankful. And full of gladness and rejoicing. He has become your salvation. There is therefore now no condemnation on you who are in Christ. You stand in His grace. You have been saved. You are part of the new structure that is changing everything and will one day wipe sin off the earth and you will dwell forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever with the God of glory and grace, who deliberately, knowingly saved you. He has reversed your fortunes because He reversed the verdict on Jesus. Trust Him. Let me pray. Father, we bless your holy name for creating such a plan. Son, we bless your holy name for being obedient to death, even death upon a cross. Spirit, we bless your holy name for giving the scriptures and opening our eyes to them that we would know these things. For opening the eyes of our hearts that we would believe in them. So I pray now, 
Spirit, would you move to cause others to believe or to believe again or to believe in a refreshed and deeper way that we would know the God who is good and full of steadfast love. I pray this in the name of Christ, our Savior. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. We invite you to visit our website at www.slcebfree.org or call us directly at area code 801-943-0091. Our mailing address is Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City, 6515 South Lion Lane, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84121.